Amen. Thank you, Heather. Let's oh. get my stuff together here. Who's had a uh, Who's had a good week? Yeah. yeah. There's a few people going. Eh. Who hasn't had a good week? Yeah, a few people. Hmm. It's interesting. Who's had their coffee this morning? Ah, good. Had two. Good. Good, good. So at least I know you'll be awake, Heather. That's good. I um, Actually, who, who remembers, who was here and who remembers when I spoke back in January? Jan- Sunday the 8th. Andrew, yeah, a few people. Yeah, oh, that's good. Good. A few more than I expected. That's good. I like that. So back when, for those of you who weren't here, actually, who wasn't here? Who was off on holidays or something? Yeah, yes, lackers. Jeez, I don't know. What I spoke about that day was, I spoke about how to stay focused on what God wants you to do in 2017. Okay, and one of the things I did, and I promised everyone who was here, I promised that I was going to ask next time I preach, but one of the things I did was I got, um, towards the end of my message, I got everyone to split off into pairs with someone that you trusted, and you were to share one personal goal and one spiritual or ministry-focused goal with that person, okay? And then that person became your accountability partner for the rest of the year for those things. So the question I have for you is, if, for those who are here, who's continued on with it? Yeah? You're keeping in touch with the people that you spoke to about it, yeah? That's really cool. I really like that. I'm guessing there's probably a few that have either forgotten about it, or you've gone back and looked at what you wrote down and gone, oh, you know what, not really what I was aiming towards, not really where I'm going this year, and you know what, that's fine. That's okay. And I'm also guessing, and I'm not going to get people to put their hands up, but I'm also guessing there's a few people here that life has just got ridiculously crazy. It might have just might just be busy through work. It might be circumstances that are out of your control, Um, could be um, family tragedy, could be anything that just can pile on. I mean, our lives are busy enough as it is, aren't they? And so often we just have all this stuff, all these things happen that just come and pile on top of us and we can just feel like we're drowning. So I'm guessing that there's a few that had every intention of following through but you just haven't been able to because you haven't been able to focus on those things when there's other things that you need to spend your time addressing, yeah? And when I was was praying about what to speak on today, the Lord dropped into my heart John 14, John chapter 14. Didn't give me any specifics, just that came into my heart. So I sat down and read it and... I'm just going to get straight into it today, actually. Is that okay? Yeah? I'm going to get straight into it. Because I've got quite a bit that I want to say. But the Lord dropped John chapter 14 into my heart. And so I opened it up and I started reading it. And it wasn't really the words that Jesus or the disciples said that jumped out at me. What jumped out at me was there was this situation with these guys sitting in a room 
and they're getting hit with all these things that were unexpected. They're being told that Jesus is going to leave them. Now, Jesus was their rabbi. Jesus was their teacher. They loved Jesus. They just spent the last three and a half years being taught by him in his presence almost constantly. And all of a sudden, they're being told he's going to leave them. And there's all these other things happening. And all of a sudden, it hit me. What would the emotional state of the disciples have been at that point? You know, I think we can fall into the trap sometimes when we read the Bible that we, we read it like a novel, where we read about John and Peter and, or Simon Peter and Judas and they, they don't stand out to us as people, they stand out as characters in a novel. Would you agree? We read, often read the Bible quite factually because it's, a, it's essentially, a, in many respects, an historical account. But what we fail to realise and kind of connect with is that these are actual stories, these are actually events that happen with real people. And they would have been experiencing all the same emotions that we experience in our everyday life. When life gets on top of us, when things happen, when tragic circumstances come about, we have real emotions about that, don't we? The disciples and even Jesus would have been exactly the same. So I want to look at John chapter 13 and 14. I went back and read 13 as well. So I want to look at John 13 and 14 just slightly differently. Basically look at it from what we can learn from the disciples' experience. What did the disciples experience? What was Jesus' experience at that point in time? So here we go. First thing I want to note about these two chapters... um, it's pretty clear, John 13, chapter 1, it was just before the Passover feast. So it had come to Passover time. Now, who remembers what Passover time is? Passover is essentially the celebration of um, the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Okay? It's named after the 10th plague. So if you remember when Jesus came and, um, or not Jesus, but, but God came and said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn in Egypt, but if you put some blood on your door, I'll pass by your house or pass over your house. That's where the Passover got its name from. It's named after that. Interesting to note, I find it a little bit ironic, that here's Jesus at Passover time, telling the disciples, I'm, I'm going to be taken away, I'm, I'm, going to be going, I'm going to be crucified. But he's, being, he's dying at the hands of the very people that his father saved at the time where those people are also joyfully celebrating that God actually saved them. Does anyone see the irony in that? I find it really interesting. That's just a bit of a side note. So it's Passover time, a very significant time in the Israelites, um, in the Israelites' calendar. And it is... It's supposed to be a joyful time too. It's a time of celebration. So here they are, Passover time. They come in and they're actually enjoying the feast just before Passover. They're enjoying a meal before Passover has actually started. It's the eve of, of Passover. And Jesus, next thing we see, Jesus starts washing the disciples' feet. So if we look at John chapter 13, verse 3, right through to 17, it's all about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now what was significant about that 
is that back then, and I'm sure you, you all know, back then they, they wore sandals, their roads, were, they didn't have concrete paths and they didn't have tarred roads. They had horses and oxen and all sorts of different animals that were walking around. When they walked around with sandals on their feet, their feet got absolutely filthy. So they would wash their feet um, before a meal. But usually what would happen is it would be a servant or a slave who would wash, wash your feet. It wouldn't be the host. It wouldn't be someone who had a higher stature or higher um, standing in society than you did. That was just unheard of. And Jesus was revered as a rabbi, as a teacher. They were, they were held in high esteem. And so that's why we see when we look at verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter almost refused and he was a bit standoffish. And he said, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. But if you're going to wash my feet, wash my head and my hands as well. And Jesus said, no, you're already clean. I need to do this for you. So culturally, the disciples were probably sitting there going, what on earth is going on? Why is the, the person, the teacher that we've been following, that we've been looking to, that we've been admiring, why is he washing our feet? So there's already a level of confusion going on. As we... So the first 17 chapters of, uh, first 17 verses, I should say, not chapters. First 17 verses of chapter 13, they kind of set the scene for everything that's about to happen. And I want to quickly look at some of the, the major things that happened in these two chapters. All right, so first of all, from verse 18 through to verse 30, Jesus predicts his betrayal. Okay, so in verse 21 and 22, it says this. It says, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Already they're confused. They're going, hang on, what on earth is going on? The idea that someone from that such a close circle from these students with a, a teacher, the idea that someone would betray the teacher was a foreign concept. They, they struggled to comprehend what was going on. And if we look in the account of Matthew and Mark about this situation, it actually says the disciples, one by one, I think it says in Matthew, one by one, the disciples said, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. They were confused. They were, this can't be the case. And we see in verse 26, something again that's quite significant about this. Jesus dips the bread. When John asks, who is it? And Jesus said, it's the one who I give the bread to, the one who I share this with. When Jesus dips the bread into the dish and gives it to Judas... That was actually something very significant in their culture as well. That was actually something where the host would do that. They'd dip some bread into the dish and give it to someone that they wanted to honour at the table. So it wasn't, it's not just something that Jesus used to, you know, be fancy or be different. It was something that was significant in their culture and the disciples would have understood that. 
So when you think about it, Jesus is showing love and grace and honouring Judas. And Judas is about to walk off and betray him. Doesn't that just give us an amazing insight into the depth of love that Christ had for the disciples? That even when he knew that Judas was going to walk away and betray him, he still honoured him. He could have just said, oh yeah, it's Judas. He could have ignored that, but no, he chose to do it in a way that showed love and grace and honoured Judas. Next thing we see as we move on in, in John chapter 13 is that Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him. So at this point, we've got confusion about why Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. We've got... Uh, confusion and probably a bit of grief, probably a bit of anger and misunderstanding about the fact that someone in there is such a tight circle of, of friends, basically a family, is going to betray Jesus. And now it comes down to when Jesus is saying, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be leaving you. And Simon Peter says to Jesus, he says, where are you going? I want to come too. You know, God, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus turns around and says, will you really? Because before the cock crows three times, uh, you will deny me. How would Peter have been feeling at that point? Here's this man that he admires and honours and holds him in high esteem, all of a sudden turning around going, yeah, you're going to deny me. You're going to, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter would have been feeling pretty low. He would have been feeling, again, confused. Maybe there was some grief. Maybe there was resentment. How could Jesus say that? Does he not know me? He would have been hurt by Jesus' rebuke. And as we continue on, as we, as we look through uh, the, uh, chapter 14 as well, we see that the disciples' confusion begins to come out. Their, their lack of belief, their lack of understanding begins to come out. Thomas asks, how can we know the way to where you are going if you don't tell us where you are going? There's a lack of understanding. Philip says, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Just show us the Father. There's unbelief there. There's confusion. They're not sure if Jesus really is the Son of God. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, asks, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Again, lack of understanding. They're, they're confused. They're wanting to learn. They're, they're trying to get their heads around this. So have a look. All this stuff is going on. In the midst of them trying to hear from Jesus and learn from Jesus, they've got all this emotional stuff that they're trying to deal with at the same time. All this stuff that they are probably really struggling to get their head around at the same time. Anyone ever had a day like that? Anyone ever had a day where you just get to the end of the day and you go... <laughs> Anyone ever feel like your head feels like that? <laughs> it's... <laughs> That kind of summed it up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
sometimes we just, the magnitude of the events that are occurring, we just get overwhelmed, don't we? We just, we start thinking, how on earth am I ever going to be able to comprehend this? How on earth is this, can I ever see this changing? Or can I ever see this being fixed? Or can I ever see myself getting over this pain? What about Jesus in all of this though? You know, we hear about how Jesus is, he's strong and he's, he's the son of God. But he was human as well. What would Jesus have been going through? Well, if we sort of skip back just a little bit to John 12, verse 27. Jesus says this, Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Now, so often, and I've fallen into the trap of this, we can fall into this, this trap of, we look at that second part of that verse where Jesus says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And we go, oh, well, that's just Jesus sort of going, yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. I came to die. You know, so be it. Just brushing it off and shrugging it off. But if we look at the first part, now my heart is troubled. Jesus had anguish about what he was about to go through, what he knew he was going through. He had anguish about suffering one of the most painful and horrible deaths that a person could go through being crucified. Not to mention, it would also be the first time that he would actually be separated from the Father. So he's got these things going through his mind. And at the same time, he's just sent off someone that he loves, someone he's spent three and a half or so years with, that he's been teaching, he's just sent him off to go and betray him. And another person that he loves, he's just told him that you're going to deny me three times. How many of us, if we had two people that were incredibly close to us, one of them was going to go and betray you to your enemy, to your boss, to whoever it might be, and the other one was going to deny that they even knew you? How would you feel? You'd be pretty shattered, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be heartbroken. And yet Jesus is having to deal with the fact that here I am, I'm about to die on the cross and I've got friends and close people that are denying me and betraying me. He would have felt horrible. Jesus was God incarnate, yes, but he was still human. He experienced human emotions and he had just a, uh, just a slight burden to deal with. So this scene that we've got, there's this chaotic confusion. There's probably terrified disciples there's grief, there's anguish, there's confusion, there's anger, there's heartbreak. All this stuff happening just in these two chapters. All these different emotions flying around. I remember a time in my life, I was in year 10, so it was about five years ago. Um, what? <laughs> no, it was a little more than five years ago. I was about 15 or 16 around this time, and um, my parents decided to go on a second honeymoon slash holiday for about six weeks overseas. Um, I have two older sisters. One was about 17, 18, and I was... Uh, sorry, my eldest sister was around about 20 to 21. Um, so my parents were abandoning us overseas, going gallivant around Europe, 
and uh, left us to be. <laughs> I thought there'd be a few cheers of joy there. Um, but this six-week period was one of the most difficult times I've ever faced in my life because during that time, um, the first thing that happened, and this may not seem like a big thing, I look back, wow, I look back now and I go, it really wasn't that big. But the first thing that happened was my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. So I was pretty heartbroken. I was pretty shattered about that. The second thing that happened was that my grandfather died, which was expected. We knew it was going to happen at some point, but we were just praying it wouldn't be during that time while my parents were away. And the last thing that happened was that our house got robbed. So here I am this, I was 15 or 16, I can't remember exactly how old I was. And the world just seemed to be caving in on me. I had no idea of how to cope. And I kept on asking God, why? Why me? Why is this going on? Why, why aren't you fixing this? And I remember one, oh, sorry, one more thing that did happen is um, we went to the airport to go and pick up my mum because my dad was going on to do some missions work after the trip. My mum came straight home. And obviously we'd been communicating with, with my parents so they knew everything that was happening. But mum, I remember, we were standing at the airport waiting and um, mum walks out of the gate. She'd been through customs and everything and mum walks out of the gate and we, she looked a little bit weird because her mouth was smashed up. She had bruising all over her face and grazing and all sorts of stuff and, and they hadn't told us. We knew nothing about what had happened. So he, that was pretty much the last straw for us. I'm pretty sure all three of us just pretty much broke down at that point. Um, turns out that all it was... Well, not all it was, but what had happened is I think my mum was in either Estonia or Germany and um, had tripped over the gutter and gone face first into the concrete, um, broken a couple of teeth and stuff. So here we are, just all these things going on and, and we were just struggling to cope. And for me, it was very much, you know, my parents were my rock. They were the people that I looked to in times like that and they weren't there. It was a really rough time for me and for my sisters. Excuse me. I remember we, we had all my cousins over um, to our house during that time. I think it was to plan um, my grandfather's funeral a little bit. Um, we, we had the most space. And at the time, we had a, a, a dog, a Labrador Kelpie named Jessie. And um, she was the most excitable thing. When there was a lot of people around, she'd be, Taylor would be going a million miles an hour and my sister was walking around. I, think she, I don't know if she was putting food out or what she was doing, but she was walking around and all of a sudden she turns around just out of frustration because the dog was getting in her way, turns around and goes, Jesse, for once in your life, would you just do what you're told? The problem was is my second cousin, who was five or six years old, his name Jessica and was standing right next to her. And that situation summed up for me, as I thought about it a few years later, summed up for me that whole period in my life, that six-week period where things are going wrong, things are going crazy, and when you finally let it out, it just makes things worse. That's the way it seemed at the time. And life can be like that for us, can't it? Life can be just caving in on us, when we finally let it out, when we finally realise that we can't cope, all of a sudden that seems to just make things worse. 
life can hit us really, really hard. We can be dealing with difficult work situations, death of a loved one, financial stress, depression, mental illness, marriage issues. And if we went around the room, we could probably come up with a thousand other things that would affect us in our daily life. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, and that's just with our own lives. There are massive social issues that Christians and the church are facing. Adrian mentioned one of them last week. What's our response to homosexuality? That's a huge one. There's religious extremism happening. There's this idea that everyone has to be tolerant of everyone's views as long as it matches up with their own. That's, that's something that Christians are going to have to deal with. So we've got all these things on top of what's going on in our daily life. So how do we not collapse? How do we not just collapse under the weight of this? How did the disciples not collapse? How did the disciples continue on after Jesus had died, after Jesus had been raised from the dead and and had gone up to heaven? How did they continue on? What can we learn from these two chapters about dealing with tough times? Well, the first thing I think that we can learn is that the disciples kept asking questions. It may have been out of unbelief. It may have been from lack of understanding. It may have been out of their emotions, but they kept the dialogue with Jesus going. They didn't withdraw. They didn't pull back. They didn't say, well, I don't want to be here anymore because it's too hard. They kept the dialogue with Jesus going. They endeavoured to find the answers. They continued the communication with Jesus. They communicated what they were feeling. When the disciples asked questions of Jesus, they were allowing Jesus to teach them, to minister to them. And we need to do the same. When life's getting on top of us, we need to ask questions of Jesus. We need to ask those questions of God. We need to keep that communication open. It's so easy to fall into the trap of, well, I'll read my Bible or I'll pray or I'll spend time with God once I've dealt with this. But it's actually the opposite. We need to be going, once I spend time with God, once I speak to God, once I've sat at his feet and told him what's going on, then I can step into a place where I can deal with this. It's so easy to get that mixed up. The second thing is this. They listened. They listened to the voice of the teacher or the voice of God. All this stuff going on, so often, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I find it so easy to go to God, go to a friend or someone and go, I've got all this going on. What do I do about it? And then I run off looking for the answers. I mean, it'd be like me coming up to someone and saying, you know, Andrew, I need your help with this. And then walking away over here and doing it all myself. What's the point? It doesn't make sense. We need to stop and listen. We need to allow God, we need to allow Jesus to respond and listen to what he is saying. In uh, chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him 
and make our home with him. To be able to obey Jesus' teaching, we need to first listen to it, don't we? We need to actually hear what he has to teach us. I love what Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says. And it's a well-known verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I also love Psalm 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's so easy for <coughs> excuse me. It's so easy for us to sit back and wait for God to just do something. But sometimes the best thing we can do is go to God. Instead of waiting and, and assuming that God is over there, we go to Him. And we say, God, I'm laying it at your feet. Teach me. Minister to me. Show me. Now, we may not like his answers sometimes. I know we've talked about, um, we've had messages on that. Sometimes we won't get the answers that we like or the answers we want or the, the answers that we think we should get. And the disciples certainly didn't, did they? I mean, how many times did the disciples ask, Lord, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I reckon the disciples would have been sitting there going, yes, but Where? Could you just tell us where so that we can know how to get there? It's so easy for us to forget that we need to just trust. The third thing that I believe that we can learn from these passages that we see, Jesus will never give up on us. He will never give up on us he never gave up on the disciples as i said before he they'd been with jesus for about three three and a half years somewhere around there and he was still teaching them and guiding them right before he knew he was about to go and die now i don't know about you if i knew i was going to die the last thing i'd want to be doing is teaching a bunch of students i would not want to be spending time and energy going to these students and telling them all about what's about to happen, I'd be going, you know what, guys? You're on your own. I've got my own crap to deal with right now. Yeah? But Jesus spends this time teaching them, answering their questions. He has patience for them. Although we, we do see, if you read on, the, Jesus does get a little bit impatient at times. Don't you know me, Philip? He says, when Philip asks, show us the Father. Don't you know me, Philip? He does get a little bit frustrated. But he doesn't walk away. He doesn't go, well, that's your problem. If you haven't worked it out, not my problem. He spends that time. He teaches and he guides. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm, I might be going away, but I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send another counselor. And he will remind you of all the things that I have taught you. He will teach you. He will guide you. 
He didn't abandon them. He didn't give up on them. You see, the Holy Spirit has sent to be our guide. He's sent, been sent to be our comfort. And just as Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew 28, 20, another well-known verse, And surely I am with you always to the end of the age, to the very end of the age. Or I love how Paul puts it in Romans, Romans chapter 8, 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love that. Nothing. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus, from the love of God. So whatever you are going through, whether it's good, whether it's horrible, whether it's, eh, life's just plodding along, whatever you're going through, always remember these three things. Don't be silent with God. Communicate with God. Keep that dialogue open. I love the example of Job in that. Job had just literally lost everything. And yet when he has, if we look, I think it's Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 22, Job, it says Job tore his clothes and knelt down in praise before God and says, naked I came into this world, naked I will leave, yet I will praise God. And he'd lost everything. He'd lost children. He'd lost his property. He'd lost all his wealth. And yet he still came and knelt before God and praised him. Don't be silent. Don't be silent with God. Don't go through everything that you're going through silently. Don't think that Jesus isn't there because he is. Second thing is, listen to his voice. Allow God to minister to us. Allow him to minister into what you're saying, into, sorry, what you're living. And the third thing is, remember that Jesus will never give up on us. Even if we give up on him, even if we walk away, even if we stuff up, even if the situations we're going through are of our own doing, he will never give up on us. He will never abandon us. Paul says this in Romans 12, chapter 12. I think it sums up everything really nicely. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, we've, uh, as a church, we've just finished the draw the circle prayer challenge. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you didn't really get the answers that you wanted. Maybe you didn't see anything change. In fact, maybe it just stirred up a whole lot of stuff. Maybe the enemy has decided to come and hit you with it. Maybe the enemy has just decided, I don't like this whole you having faith, you praying. And maybe he's come after you and maybe life's just not fun at the moment. Well, we're going to have communion now. There's communion at the sides and at the back. And I want you to use just the next few minutes to sit down with that communion, connect with God, communicate with God, tell Him what is going on in your life and allow Him, allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you. 
doesn't have to be anything, anything overly amazing. Maybe God will give you a word that will solve all the problems. I don't know. But maybe, just maybe, all it will be is that God will just wrap his arms around you and say, I love you. I know what you're going through. Tell him how you're feeling. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister just as Jesus promised he would. So let's have communion. Spend a few minutes in worship and in prayer.